Hello and welcome to Data Driven, the podcast where we explore the emerging field of data science. We bring the best minds in data, software engineering, machine learning and artificial intelligence. Now here are your hosts, Frank Lavinia and Andy Leonard. Hello and welcome back to Data Driven, the podcast where we discuss machine learning, artificial intelligence and the wonderful world of data science. If you think of data as the new oil, well, you can think of us as car talk because we discuss where the data meets the road. And with me on this epic virtual road trip, as always, is my epic co-host and data philosopher, Andy Leonard. How you doing, Andy? I'm doing well, Frank. How are you? I am doing fantastic. I uh, I haven't hit the treadmill desk. Ugh. I haven't hit the treadmill desk yet today, and I'm feeling it. I'm like just too noisy for doing recording. I hear that. So how's the, how's the treadmill desk working out for you, Frank? Pretty good, pretty good. On a slow day, I get about a mile worth of walking in, and um, which doesn't sound like a lot, but I think over time, that's a, you know all mileage I wouldn't get otherwise. Yeah. And uh, I feel better for it, you know, like I don't, you know, you kind of, after sitting in all day, you kind of feel stiff and whatnot, or, you know. I feel I have more energy now, and I and I have metrics to prove it because I have a Fitbit. It tells me like I think we compared our numbers last week, and I ended up smoking you. I'm not going to reveal how badly, <laughs> um, but I would say that a lot of that was the uh, was the uh, the treadmill desk. Clearly, was, well, was my differentiator. I would I would give you that, and I'll also since I'm looking for excuses, I'm also writing, so I'm not moving much. <laughs> Um, you can write while you're on this. Just saying. Yeah, well, <laughs> I can't. I don't have a fancy treadmill desk, um, or even a standing desk. I have the old sitting desk here. In in Farmville, we're not as fancy as you fellows up there in Southern Maryland. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Like I, 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 when I hear the word Southern Maryland, I think of like you know down by, um, down by. Virginia Beach and stuff, you know, not Virginia Beach, but the peninsula. I don't think right. of Montgomery County, Maryland as Southern Maryland. I think of it as kind of like, you know, D.C. kind of. <laughs> yeah, we, well, you know, Delmarva, right? That area. I think Delmarva, yeah, because that's, yeah. they're way further. I mean, that's a, Maryland's not a big state, but I mean, it's a two, three hour drive without traffic to get down there. So it's bigger yeah. than you would. I wouldn't want to walk it, let me put it that way. And, and Maryland, that part of Maryland, I think is very pretty. Oh, it's gorgeous. The peninsula is, is beautiful. We um, went to Ocean City uh, early, just before Memorial Day, and we drove, you know, kind of meanderingly back through Delaware and and um, the uh, eastern shore. It was beautiful. So did you do the Wayne's World thing about Delaware? No. Do you remember the Wayne's World thing about Delaware? I I feel like I should know it, but I, I don't. I'm shocked. <laughs> I'm sure I know a movie reference that you don't remember. Wow. That's crazy talk. Well, I am older than you, so. Uh, <laughs> no, they were doing the green screen. They were trying out the green screen. And they were putting postcards up behind them. And, of course, they were doing one for California or something. They were acting like they were surfing and things like that. And they brought one up from Delaware. And they just kind of stood there and stared into the camera and said, Hello. We're from Delaware. <laughs> <laughs> Delaware's not known for a lot of things. I think possibly Joe Biden might be it. 
could be. Well, you know, it's a great state for business. There's um, it's an awesome state for business. Yeah, yeah a, lot, a lot of states have their H. Oh, sorry, a lot of businesses have their HQ there for that reason. I believe it's taxes. I'm not positive. Yeah, they've done a they've done a good job of monetizing um, a very small geographic area. Um, yeah, that's good thinking. Um, I mean, if you've ever driven up and down the East Coast on 95, you know your, your chances of getting ticketed. <laughs> <laughs> in Delaware for going above the speed limit are very high and there's also a toll road so for like 15 miles they get you pretty good yeah so and um, there's also tax-free shopping there too I think oh interesting I yeah. did not know that which considering it's you know it borders uh, states with pretty you know not heavy but you know states with sales tax people are probably more motivated to drive over and uh, <laughs> purchase some items there well, you know, I hear that. I'm that I'm going to do like a rough segue now into our into our guest on the show because he's not near Interstate 95, but he is near 85. How's that? That's good. Thanks. <laughs> um, sometimes I'm, these transitions flow, and sometimes they don't. And, sometimes they like this one. Yeah, we're talking about highways, and I believe they're. Are they still working on that road down there, the part of the interstate that melted, Steve? No, actually, they were able to fix that in record time, and it's because there was a daily bonus for getting it done early. That's crazy talk. So you mean if you give people money, they'll work faster and harder? Funny, isn't it? That's crazy. So we've already we've already slipped up. That's okay. We're going to keep going because this is going to be one of those shows. This is going to be a little different. It's going to be awesome, though. So here we go. Steve Fowler is based in Atlanta, but he's originally from the Boston area. You do not sound like people I know from Boston. I'm just going to say that right out the bat. Um, Steve is uh, is very ambitious. He has a passion for business and technology, and his life purpose is to help others. That's awesome. I'm a lot like you, which should worry you. Um, Steve is a husband and a father of four wonderful kids. See, there, there we go again. I'm also a husband, father of five kids. Frank's a husband, father of two. Um, on your, I'm reading stephenfowler.me slash about for those who want to follow along at home. Stephen is with a V. Uh, philanthropist, entrepreneur, board member, consultant, instructor, speaker, investor. He enjoys family, traveling, food, cars, motorcycles, painting. He's an IoT top influencer, and we're going to talk about that some on the show today. A certified solution architect, an award-winning uh, solution provider, and a whole bunch of neat background stuff here. Started programming at age 14. I uh, went to a technical high school at age 17. Um, college degrees in business administration and computer science at age 22, and founded a first consulting company at age 23. So, you know... Steve, I'm reading this and I'm wondering, you know, what took you so long to get some of this stuff done? I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the show, sir. I appreciate it. It's glad I'm good to be here. <laughs> right. So we were talking in kind of our virtual green room before the show and uh, you were in Vegas uh, at the same time as a, a lot of Microsoft folks. So I'm looking and I'm like, uh, I'm looking at your LinkedIn. I'm like, he doesn't work for Microsoft. And um, I was like, "What? what's going on? So what were you doing in Vegas? Or does that have to stay in Vegas? 
No, it certainly doesn't. Actually, I was there to uh, accept a accolade, and I was very thankful to have done that in regards to the recognition for some work that I'm doing around IoT. I was given a business impact award by uh, a number of media companies supported by uh, IoT Magazine uh, and others. Oh, very cool. So what was the criteria for, for the magazine? It primarily was that you are providing measurable impact by having deployed IoT in an organization. Oh, very cool. So can you name an organization for which you received this honor or, or no? Sure, I certainly can. So okay. it's, it's a hydroponics farm that grows lettuce here in northern Georgia, and they're called Circle A Farms. Oh, interesting. So hydroponics, that's, uh, for those who don't know, that would be growing uh, plants with uh, just water and no soil or limited soil? very limited. There's a little bit of what they call substrate, which is just a little bit of material that you need to kind of get the process kickstarted. Right. And and how does IoT play into that? Well, it's actually really interesting. I mean, early on, we deployed IoT in regards to the sensors for the air, the water, temperature, humidity, CO2, to just try to get some operational efficiency out of the operations. But what we were able to do through predictive analytics and full-on machine learning was to be able to try to control the environment in such a way that we can actually create a new product that doesn't even exist today. What? Yep. Personalized food. So just like today, how you have coffee with cream or somebody else has coffee uh, with sugar, we're going to actually be able to produce different lines of lettuce that are personalized for the needs of the individual. Really? Yes. Interesting. And and this is not through splicing it with a tomato or injecting it with rabbit DNA. So you won't have a rabbit lettuce thing? No, none of that. Around on your plate. Okay. So um, how how does that, how do you, is it the same species of lettuce plant or is it a different one or is is lettuce more susceptible to changes to the environment to affect its taste? Um, that's exactly what it is, is, is that um, by having a lot of sensors on a lot of different aspects of the environment and having it be a greenhouse that can be completely controlled, you can start to use monitoring control through IoT to tweak certain aspects of the overall quote unquote recipe of the environment to start to get that lettuce to start to grow in a certain type of way. And what we're doing is, is we're sending out samples of water and the actual product itself to Clemson University to have a complete spectral analysis done of the actual product. And what we're trying to do is move it in a way that we're actually reducing the potassium level in lettuce. Potassium is what makes green vegetables taste really bitter, which is why a lot of kids tend not to like it. So if we can reduce the bitterness of the product, it's going to be kid-friendly. Another added advantage to that is, is that in the local Atlanta area, there's a lot of folks that are dialysis patients because of the demographics of the Southeast. Those folks, if they have potassium, it could kill them. So now that same product that's kid-friendly, mind you, it doesn't taste like an Oreo, but it tastes really good, can also be used for this population. So folks who probably have not been able to have certain vegetables for a while now have an improved quality of life by being able to have this product. Oh, wow. So they have more healthy food options, too. Exactly. That's that's really interesting. Um, how did you get into making lettuce? Well, so the journey that I had in regards to as being a technologist and the work that I did around cloud enablement and then really wanting to really kind of tackle and, and leveraging IoT 
to further impact organizations, I was actually a customer uh, of this farm. And through talking with him, I asked him about what kind of monitor and control that he had within the environment. And he shared with me, quite frankly, that it was inadequate. Uh, It was all passive, no active alerts or notifications and stuff. And so we started that conversation um, on how to improve operations. And it just led to um, some really uh, exciting conversations and work that we're doing with them today. Interesting. So did you get started uh, with off-the-shelf kind of pre-built agriculture sensors, or did you kind of roll your own with Arduinos and Raspberry Pis? Yeah, so we basically rolled our own. Basically, what we're using is the Node MCU module, which is an open arm architecture. And then we used a blend of both commercial and industrial sensors uh, within the greenhouse. And then we use kind of standard protocols to collect that telemetry and get it up into the cloud. And then from there, we started doing a lot of uh, heavy and deep analysis on it. Wow. Hey, Andy. Yes, sir. You live in Farmville, and didn't you get some Arduinos and Raspberry Pis for your birthday? I did, in fact, and I'm going to dig into that. Um, I haven't had a chance yet to play because, like I said, I've been writing. But I'm very fascinated listening to you talk about this, Steve. I have a background in manufacturing uh, automation, and I've done some stuff around agriculture. Um, I mentioned this with an earlier guest. We were talking with Donald Farmer a few months ago. And one of the coolest, um, one of the coolest bids I ever did was for a fish farm. And we were trying to detect the pounds of fish that were present in the fish farm by um, things like the amount of oxygen in the water, the amount of oxygen depletion in the water, the rate, I should say, of oxygen depletion and, and things like that. So I am fascinated with what you're doing. My background is electronics engineering tech. Um, absolutely fascinated by the instrumentation, uh, the, the systems control and data acquisition, as we used to say back in the old days when years began with a one. And uh, really neat. I'd love to hear everything you want to share with us about this. This sounds fascinating. Yeah, and I could talk about it uh, for hours and do. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'd nice be happy to have... have... Sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, Andy, you go ahead. I was just going to say it's nice that um, not only did you do this, but that you received the recognition in, in the form of this award. That has to be an awesome feeling. It certainly is. I mean, um, it, it really is good to be recognized for the work that we do. So has the has the farm seen an uptick in sales? Have, I mean, have they gotten – what's the um, – because I'm sure there's going to be people kind of scratching their heads and you, the tech is totally cool. But at the end of the day, can you can you show a measurable improvement in business or new opportunities that have opened up because of this? Um, sure, absolutely. So short term, short term, we were wanting to improve um, using less water, using less electricity, uh, improving the yield, and then improving the quality. And so we've already started doing some of that. The longer pole in the tent is is going through seasonally, moving into a place where we're creating these new products. Interesting. Now, because it's in a greenhouse and because it's so tightly controlled, uh, you can grow these year-round? Yes, that is correct. And the yield during the summertime is about four weeks, and the yield in the wintertime is averages more around 12 weeks. And so what we're trying to do, once again through IoT, is to create the environment of summer year-round to improve yield and profits. Interesting. That has some interesting implications for kind of urban farming 
Well, it's even it's even much broader than that. Consider the scenario where there are places like Morocco, Dubai, that really are looking for that next product past oil. Consider the scenario where for a fraction of the natural resources, you could do indoor farming in the middle of the desert. Wow. That that's that's interesting because that could really turn those Gulf states from oil powerhouses to kind of food powerhouses. Absolutely. Interesting. So a democratization of food. I like this. And besides the fact that when you grow hydroponically, um, you're not using pesticides and they're not touched by human hands. Literally, the, the, the only time the product is touched is with uh, gloves when it actually is put in the container. So there would be a lot less risk of E. coli outbreaks, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely. Interesting. Bar none, people that try hydroponically grown food tend not to go back to traditional farmed food for a number of reasons. Taste, quality, appearance alone is is what does it for them. Wow. That brings up, that brings up an interesting question. Um, is the food then sold for a higher price? It is, but uh, it's not uh, an offensive uh, premium that you that you pay. And I think as we improve yield and do the things that we're doing through technology, uh, gosh, wouldn't it be great if we could get those prices to be commensurate to what you find in your local grocery store? Yeah. Wow. Well, and the other thing too is that the, the different types of produce that you find in a grocery store are not optimized towards um, nutrition or taste. They're optimized towards, you know, how what's their shelf life is. Absolutely. And the thing is, is hydroponically grown food actually has a longer shelf life and uh, can actually help allow you to grow the food locally within the market versus a place, let's say, Chile, and then having to do all the logistics of getting it to market. Interesting. So this could uh, this could enable some markets to uh, produce different types of food and it would hurt kind of export businesses in other places. Correct. Interesting. That sounds disruptive. A bit. So it, how big is agritech? Uh, how big is IoT in, in, in agriculture these days? Well, it's really segmented in regards to kind of traditional farming. And a lot of people think of IoT in traditional agriculture is putting sensors on the tractors to, um, you know, only watering certain parts of the farm, only using pesticides on certain parts of the farm. And that's really where big agriculture is. Uh, A segment of agriculture is kind of hydroponics and then its sister, which is aquaponics, which is really closing the entire loop by having fish uh, part of the equation. Interesting. So fish kind of feed off and fertilize the plants. Is that correct? And then the plants then in turn give the fish what it needs. Interesting. Kind of a sealed ecosystem. Absolutely. That would be interesting research for kind of future space colonization, wouldn't it? Absolutely. And um, I think, you know, right now to kind of close the loop on uh, aquaponics, that's what hydroponics is is trying to solve. Huh. And, and then in addition, you can farm, uh, you can farm the fish for food in addition to the plants as well. That's okay. impressive. Yeah, I agree with Frank. That's very impressive. So you're collecting all of this data. You're shipping it up to the cloud. What happens to the data once it gets to the cloud, Steve? Um, well, short term, what we're doing is is we're actually pulling a lot of that data down into Linux's Anaconda, and we're using the Anaconda platform to do all of our predictive analytics and machine learning. 
right now we're so eager to just get to the results. Um, we're using, you know, open technology and open platforms to do it. Another part of what we're doing too is also using the Azure uh, stack as well. Very interesting. So what, what do you see as a compare and contrast between uh, the Linux tools that you're using, Linux hardware uh, versus the Azure tech? Speed versus scale. So which one gets speed, which one gets scale? We're able short term to do kind of the proof of concepts in Anaconda and getting into the algorithms and the methodologies that we want to use to do the data analytics. And then we port that over and implement it into Azure. So specifically, what do you port? Uh, what are you using in Azure? Are you using ML Studio? Or are you using some other, uh, using data lakes in Azure? Yeah, we're using a combination of the data lakes. Data lakes. We're using a combination of, of all of the emerging technology that Microsoft is creating and where they're going with the, the new Microsoft Edge capabilities. You know, we're hungry to really absorb any and all things Microsoft as soon as it becomes available from the product team. And as you know, they're rapidly coming up to speed with their uh, capabilities around IoT. Interesting. But they've also embraced a lot of these open source kind of tools. And, and that's right. And so part of us as a kind of a vendor, we're wanting to understand how Microsoft is implementing and positioning their technology for adoption in the IoT ecosystem. And then we'll augment with open source technologies as appropriate. Uh. So that that's very interesting. And I, I understand that um, as I was looking through your bio page, that uh, changing the subject just a little bit, that you're also friends with another friend that I know from the Atlanta area. He's a former guest on the show, Mark Tabadillo. Yes. So tell me about you and Mark. How do well, you know each other? So we know each other basically through, you know, bumping into each other at different Microsoft events. Obviously, you know, he's a data scientist, really focuses on big data, machine learning, um, and does architecture um, through Microsoft services. So. Him and I trade notes on uh, the, all things data with Microsoft. Interesting. He's definitely a good contact to have, that's for sure. So what, what's Microsoft's um, uh, thought about this? Because uh, Microsoft has made a real push into kind of philanthropy and, 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 and IoT. I mean, is there, is there I mean, the philanthropy, the, the, I can't say it right. The philanthropy angle would be, you know, kind of feeding the hungry and that sort of thing and solving food crises. Yeah. So what we do is, is we're partnering with the DX team um, within Microsoft and they're the technical evangelists that actually work with deploying technology in the field and working with folks like us to, you know, show how the technology is an enabler for all of these types of things. And, um, and so we partner with them with uh, at meetups, Microsoft events and conferences to talk about the, the exciting stuff we're doing. Very cool. And you say we, is this a joint venture between you and the farmer? Is this? Yeah, yeah. Between us and Circle A Farms, we're we're okay. doing this together. So, is is the plan is to obviously build up Circle A Farms um, business in terms of what they can uh, build, uh, create, and and research. But I mean, are you planning to productize what you your findings into well, packages? Yeah, there's a couple different things, right? So you obviously, you know, they're going to have improved yield, better product. We're going to help them produce a new product that doesn't exist. We can monetize the data 
the data patterns, the data models as well. And then, um, you know, that's really where there's some opportunity. And there's a lot of kind of Bloomberg's uh, of, of data exchanges out there, and those will just continue to mature. Interesting. So you can monetize the data, the product, and your methodologies. Absolutely. You know, and, and, I, and I told the owner of this farm that depending on how innovative, um, you know, big agriculture sees the work that we're doing, he very well might get a call from somebody who's really interested in his product and what he's got going on. Wow. That is very interesting, Steve. So one of the thoughts that I had was, so suppose uh, you're, you're poor and you have some small section of land, but you live in a, you're somewhere in the tropics where you don't need a greenhouse to have year-round weather that, that lends itself to, um, to this the greenhouse type growing um, like we do in, the, say, in Georgia. Um, could a person there apply your IoT solution without having a greenhouse? I mean, could they do it outside, essentially? Um, they can, but they're not going to be able to control the growing of the actual plant itself to the degree that we do in a truly closed environment. And for plants, one of the key thing is humidity, because when a plant senses high humidity on, uh, in, it, in the environment, it actually shuts off its desire to want to draw water in through the root system, which is where you can actually have your solution of, of, of specific nutrients and things that you want the plant to get. Gotcha. So this would be more applicable. That's why you mentioned the Gulf states and kind of at more arid areas. Yeah. I mean, certainly IoT on traditional agriculture is going to help with operational efficiency. I'm just stating that if you want to actually start to create personalized and, and, and alter the actual kind of product, it's obviously much harder to do when you don't have a, a closed environment. No, that, that makes perfect sense. Um, so... Your experience in data science, how did you, uh, how did you get started into, into working with all of that? Well, basically, we all know that data in and of itself doesn't necessarily provide value. It's through taking that data, creating patterns from that models, models to predictions, or actually just allowing businesses to take action against the ins insights and answers that they have in their data. And so for myself, I just saw myself as a practitioner of all things data to help organizations be actionable based off of the data they have and to also be a solution architect in helping them to implement the technology needed to capture data from new sources. And that with IoT, um, everything around us is talking, but are we listening? And should we be listening? And so IoT really has a, a fundamental ability to, to capture more data that can help us uh, make better actions. Well, that's interesting. So what would you say is holding people back from getting more into IoT? Well, I think part of it is um, having practitioners not talk in engineering speak about protocols and technologies and hardware. It's a matter of advancing the conversation to yeah, there's some implementation work we need to do in technology to eventually capture these data points. Now let's focus on what are the things that we can learn from that data once we've received it. And when people see the value of what they can do once they have the data, then they can start to understand the ROI of how to actually implement the technology to capture the, those new data sources. That makes perfect sense. 
So if someone's out there listening to this podcast and they're thinking, I want to get more into IoT, what's your advice for them? Well, I think you need to understand where in, in kind of the three silos of IoT you want to work. There's from the sensor, which is called the edge, all the way to the cloud. That's kind of that first phase of IoT. And then the second piece is that once you've collected that data out in the edge, it has to go into the, into the cloud or some type of IoT platform. And then from that platform, it does the manipulation, the storage of the data to get it prepared for then doing the data analytics side of it, which is kind of the third leg. And, um, you know, we need people in each one of those areas to, to really kind of do the whole kind of edge to insight within, within the, uh, the IoT market. Edge to insight. I rather like the sound of that. That sounds cool. Uh, well, I do too, and I actually have a uh, a <laughs> a, uh, a patented not patented, but a, you know a, a provisional t- a trademark on that term, and we have the domain name as well. Oh, very nice, very nice. So those that are listening, sorry, the domain name's taken. Um, so how did? So here's a question that I think a lot of people who are wanting to get in this space are going to face this uh, initial objection. By. So, what was the, the the what I'm basically trying to ask is what was the farmer's first reaction to to what you said? Was were they excited? Were they kind of you know scratch their chin and say hmm? Or what what was their reaction at first? Was there any resistance? So this that's a great question, and the answer is this: is is that farmers tend not to be technologists. Okay, not all of them, but. By the, but you know, a, a fair amount of them are. When I talked with him, I didn't talk about the technology. I focused merely on the outcomes. And, and how we started that conversation with him was is that he had shared with me when I asked him about monitor control, he actually said that he had gotten some microorganisms that had gotten into his system and that he had fought to get them out and couldn't and eventually had to clear his entire production line, costing him over $40,000 within product. And I said, what if I could apply technology to keep that from happening in the future? And that there was the beginning of our business relationship. Interesting. It's about solving problems, problems that are real pain points for individuals. Right. That makes a lot of sense. What was the next step implementation? So the first thing we needed to rapidly do was to prototype um, the devices, the weather stations, if you will, that we were going to deploy throughout the greenhouse. And then we did that. We got those sensors in, powered up, and starting to collect the data and sending it to the cloud. And then at that point, it was a little bit of a waiting game uh, to get all that time series data to eventually collect uh, so that we could actually start to analyze it. And then how long, how much data did you need before you could start getting a good handle on on an, an analysis? Mm-hmm. Well, because of the way time series data works, uh, some data was very variable. As you can imagine, heat, humidity, constantly changing. Other things like CO2, very um, minor in regards to its fluctuation and changes. So obviously the minor fluctuation and changes required many more cycles to do analytics on versus the other data that was had, had very rapid changes in it. That's very interesting. So were you able to then close the loop and start providing feedback to the actuators and the systems that control? 
Yes, we have. And, and that's an ongoing process even now uh, that we're working with the client to go ahead and, and enhance those business rules more and more so as new uh, information becomes available. So start to finish, how long was it from kind of your first conversation to the customer was like, wow, we have to do this everywhere? Well, and that's what's great about working uh, with a medium-sized organization. They can move pretty quick. If you can believe it or not, we actually started with them uh, mid-March of this year. So within, wow. just, with, within just a few months, we've been able to provide measurable impact to a business. That's impressive. And we're recording this on July 25th. So we're looking at less than half a year. That is correct. That is impressive. And um, I think that really speaks to kind of the world we live in now where you could rapidly prototype IoT devices with things like Arduino and Raspberry Pi. So is the, is the plan uh, is the plan to kind of now that you know what you need is if you're going to scale out, are you going to send the schematics to some manufacturing facility and then kind of mass produce these? Or are you just going to stick with kind of Arduinos for now? So we're waiting for the market to mature a little bit in regards to uh, the hardware starting to create the modules that we need. But even so, uh, there was just a little bit of electrical engineering um, and embedded programming that we had to do to get these weather stations to be what we needed them to be. Interesting. Like what, for example? Yeah, so for instance, um, the, the actual device that we wanted to use, we wanted to leverage what's called the lower protocol. And the lower protocol is a, a radio frequency that would allow a distant microcontroller, let's say too far from Wi-Fi signal, to collect data, send it over lower to a gateway that did have an IP address and could send it to the cloud. And so... Um, the, we did a little bit of electrical engineering to kind of get some of those components pulled together so that we could, we could deliver that. Oh, wow. That's the thing about IOT. You, you know, you think it's about soldering stuff or whatever, but there's actually a lot of, uh, surprises along the way. <laughs> yes, there is. But, uh, and you know, there are, you know, hardware uh, manufacturers that are maturing their offering. And so I'm hoping at some point we'll get out of the hardware business of, of IOT and focused more on the solutioning. Right. Makes a lot of sense. Cause when you say IOT, IOT means a lot of different things from, for different, lot of people, a lot of people. Some people think of it as just a strictly the analytic side. And some people think of it in terms of strictly the, the edge side. And mm -hmm. it's, um, it's a wide array of things I, I found. Is that a fair statement? It is. Uh, it, it's same thing with like cloud or some of these abstract terms that have very specific industry or sector, um, you know, context. Wow, that's impressive. So I assume you're you're are you do you, are you writing about this? Do you blog about it? Do you speak about this? Yeah. So what we're doing is is you know we're adding it to our conversation. We talk about it at meetups, at conferences, at uh, you know different conferences and um, the case study is just getting more and more improved and uh, you know we're continuing to update you know the market on what we're doing within IOT and agriculture oh interesting uh, so where can people find out more about this project so if you go ahead and follow me at stephenfowler.me 
I okay. am always blogging about updates to this uh, case study and where you can find me speaking about it. Very cool. Very cool. So what inspired you uh, uh, to get into this? What Was it just curiosity? Well, so as a serial entrepreneur, I've always tried to stay on whatever the emerging technology is. And so I really saw a convergence of where cloud and the edge part of IoT was going. And I said, you know, I really need to to go after this and, and get really smart about it. And then just, you know, do what I've always done, which is just to provide real world practical um, implementations that provide value and and go from there. That's very cool. Um, I was noticing on stephenfowler.me, uh, again, on your about page, as I was scrolling down, I found the note at the bottom about Mark Tabadillo, but above that, what caught my eye under philanthropy was uh, three humanitarian trips in uh, 2014, 15, and 16. Uh, can you speak some about those? Um, sure. Uh, basically, what it is is, uh, you know, I, I, I basically, everybody has a story to tell. And, you know, uh, my background is, is I kind of had a, a rough childhood and, um, I was able to kind of come out of that technology was, uh, was a, a good help in, in, in allowing that for me. And so, you know, part of what I try to do is to try, try to just kind of give back and, uh, try to pay it forward. That's very cool. I noticed the locations that you've gone to Puerto Rico and Honduras. Um, I've actually gone to Honduras before um, doing some missions work. My son and I actually have. We've made three trips down there over the past six years. And, um, you know, it's very, as you, as I'm sure you're well aware, um, a lot of need in that particular part of the world. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think I was just going to say that, you know, um, I recommend everybody to uh, get outside the U.S. if you haven't. Uh, try to give back. Uh, a third world country would be great. It really provides some perspective and that contrast really helps you um, in regards to how you interact with people. And uh, it was, it was, a, it was uh, very beneficial for myself. I completely agree. I, I think I got more out of it than the people that we were helping and that's saying something in that part of the world. Um, yes. Because we were we were helping them an awful lot. I'm curious. Um, we were uh, in and around Tegucigalpa, the uh, capital of Honduras. Where were you? Um, we were on the other side of the mountain from that. Um, I'm, I'm trying to remember what it was. I know that the city actually used to be the city that was the capital for all of Central America when there wasn't the, the various countries. Very cool. Yeah, we were, I think, between. We stayed in a place on a mountain called El Hatillo, uh, just outside of Taguch, uh there. And one of the places we visited, I don't know if you had an opportunity to do this or not, but um, we made a, a venture into the Taguchigalpa dump, uh, where there are people that, um, they work there every day. There are some people that live there. Yeah, what we did is is we went down to a uh, kids orphanage and was really just trying to help uh, you know physically build the school and invest in the children. That is so cool. Yeah, very uh, cool. Yeah, I I, of, I often tell people 
you know, I, I like reflecting back on times when I've been suited up on a high floor of a tall building in a big city and you have executives of a billion to $10 billion company listening to your every word on how they should spend $10 million on this new program. And that that's nice. And that's, uh, that's enjoyable. But when you've gone to one of these third world countries and you've literally affected someone where a child runs up to you at the end of the week and just loves on you and doesn't want you to go, that, that changes you. I completely agree, Steve. I, I've had that experience and, and you're right. And you carry that with you the rest of your days, brother. Yeah, actually, that that little boy, he actually wrote me a letter, and it's probably one of the things I cherish the most in my office. Um, matter of fact, not I think I, I know it is. Wow, wow, that's uh, that's pretty awesome. So, um, gosh, I want I want to wrap up here, but um, I've got goosebumps. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Frank, do you have any other questions for Steve? No, I'm I'm just blown away by the things you've done. It's 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 very impressive, and I I will definitely keep an eye on what you're, your what you're doing in terms of hydroponics, um, and um, and some of the humanitarian work you've done. I think that that's awesome. I think more more people need to give back. I think it would be a better world if we did, and uh, I think that's awesome. Appreciate it, gentlemen. Thank you so much, Steve. Uh, so people who want to learn more about Stephen, stephenfowler.me, that's S-T-E-V-E-N-F-O-W-L-E-R.me. And I'm certainly going to be, uh, I'm going to be subscribing to your website and following things. Uh, super impressed, just like Frank said. And we're really honored that you took time out of your day to be on our show today. Thank you so much for being on Data Driven, Stephen. Absolutely. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks for listening to Data Driven. Don't just listen, become a data driver by going to datadriven.tv to sign up to join the community, access to special events, tips and tricks, and more. Sign up today at datadriven.tv.